Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, November 24th, 2019. May God use this as a blessing to you today. And now, Pastor Aaron Stenberg. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this has got to be my favorite time of year. Anyone else favorite time of year? We are in the midst of so many holidays right now. We had Halloween, we had All Saints Day, Thanksgiving is coming up, and then Christmas. I love the change in the air. Uh, No offense to to everyone who thrives on uh, the warmer weather. Um, And I think we've officially reached the point where it is socially acceptable to listen to Christmas music. Do we have to wait till after Thanksgiving? I hear disagreement in the ranks. How many think you have to wait till after Thanksgiving? How many are totally okay with listening to it now? That's kind of half and half. I think it really varies from family to family. Well, with regards to that, at, at Palmdale United Methodist Church, we are inspired by Jesus to love. And that means loving people who listen to Christmas music only in the month of December and people who love listening to Christmas carols all the year round. I do realize that there's a lot to be excited about in this time of year, but it also is a time of year that often brings a lot of stress and anxiety, right? There's a lot of preparation going on. There's the cleaning of the homes. There's decorating. There's finding gifts. And then there's planning for a delicious Thanksgiving meal. And for those of us who are culinarily challenged, that can be quite a lot. And my family, when I was growing up, we had a lot of transitions with regard to our Thanksgiving feast because my sister in high school decided that she wanted to become a vegetarian. Uh, Yeah, my mom had been a vegetarian in her high school years, her teenage years, and so she decided to become a vegetarian as well. It will be a long-remembered Thanksgiving dinner... (laughs) When we, albeit reluctantly, tried tofurkey for the first and I think the last time. I commend us for our bravery, and I'm sure tofurkey has improved in the years since the early 90s. But Thanksgiving is almost here. It's like four days away-ish. Right? And, and we are going to gather together with our families and we're going to participate in our own Thanksgiving traditions. And I'm sure those traditions vary from family to family. Uh, one tradition in my family is the annual fight over who gets the top piece of the canned cranberry sauce. Isn't that awesome? And it's not because it tastes any different. Right? But if you look very, very closely, it's because it doesn't have those extra ridges. And, right? and so it's more pristine for when you then carve it into some abstract art piece. <laughs> Just me? 
I was devastated to read this week, there was this article that came out from Wide Open Eats uh, that points to a recent survey, and you may have seen this on Facebook, um, it, the, the survey shows that one half of Americans hate canned cranberry sauce. If that is you, you are missing out. It is, it is not just food, it is an opportunity to express your creative side. But here at Palmdale United Methodist Church, we are inspired by Jesus to love, and that includes those who disagree with me on canned cranberry sauce. Side note, come find me after the service, and I will convince you, or at least try to. So what are your Thanksgiving traditions? I bet for all of us there's something in there where we are intentional in giving thanks. It is that one time of year where gratitude and thanksgiving are placed before us and emphasized as something important. It is also a time of year where our sometimes complicated family relationships come to the surface, so to speak. And that is what we find a large part of in our text today from Colossians. It's a letter of thanksgiving, but it's also a very intentional letter from Paul to a community giving them guidance, teaching, and advice for a very specific situation. So this morning, we're turning to Colossians chapter 1. You're welcome to follow along in your pew Bible or on your app, and the verses will be on the screen if you wish to follow along uh, there. So Paul is writing to this church, and he begins by saying, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. So take, let's take a look at this church community and the interesting situation that they find themselves in that prompted Paul to write them this letter. So Colossae, um, you will hear many different pronunciations out there. Colossae, Colossae, um, it was an ancient city in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. It's located in the region of Phrygia, in the valley, um, right by the Lycus River, and you can see it circled in red on the right side of the map. You will also see on the left side of the map that I have Rome circled there, because our tradition says that Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians while he was imprisoned in Rome. And we think this when we read Colossians 4.2, when Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the world, that we may declare the mystery of Christ, for which I am in prison so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. So Colossae was once a large, prosperous city, and it was known for its textile industry and its distinct purple-colored wool. Just to be clear, the sheep were not purple. They dyed the wool purple after the fact. Okay, I, clarity is a wonderful thing. Around 60 AD, there was a devastating earthquake in the region, and it really just devastated the city and led to the cultural decline of the city in the area. As of today, um, the city has never been excavated, and so we don't know a whole lot uh, about them. But we can discover from Paul's teachings, from Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, that they've been exposed to some very specific false teachings. First, there were false teachings regarding 
really strict regulations for what you ate, for food and for drink and for observing festivals. Chapter 2, verse 16 states, Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food or drink or observing festivals, new moons or Sabbaths. Then there were some specific teachings having to do with aesthetic practices or mystical worship. In chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, dwelling on visions puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. So, Ninja Gupta, in the Smith and Hellas uh, Bible commentary, he outlines how these verses, and really how the entire letter of Colossians, uh, demonstrate what false teachings uh, this community has been taught. And it's really interesting. Uh, for this is a church whose teachers have been telling the people that there are these evil spirits and powers that have control and authority over the mortal world. And these powers prey on the weakness of human bodies and flesh. But the church can teach knowledge, wisdom, can give guidance that can protect you from these malevolent forces. By disciplining your frail body, you can resist these powers. With ritual practices and disciplining the body, you will gain access to the celestial world. You will receive divine wisdom and visions. So the church and these false teachers were essentially uh, selling the proper route to spiritual fulfillment and perfection. Essentially, it was a form of a teaching that we call Gnosticism. Uh, in the Gnostic teachings, there was this sense that uh, the body or flesh was flawed or, or bad. And so the goal was to transcend the mortal body and flesh to the divine. And so this is kind of the problem that the church is having in Colossae. Um, and this is the problem that Paul is addressing to the church. For in all of these teachings, where is Christ? In this community, they are stressing the weakness of the flesh. And so they are ignoring the fact that Emmanuel means God with us that Jesus came, that God came to us in flesh, in the body, to be with us. So Gnostics would uh, have an approach of understanding Jesus in two ways. They would fall into two camps. The first camp, they would say that Jesus was not truly divine because he had a body. The flesh is weak. Jesus couldn't possibly be divine. So that would be one camp. The second camp would say Christ was truly divine but he only had the appearance of a body. He was kind of faking it somehow. And so this is the, the false teachings that's going on. They are unable to hold this dichotomy in tension, right? And so Paul is laying out his case to the community in Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 9. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. Paul begins by letting the church know that they are in his prayers, they are in his daily prayers, that they may have wisdom from God and bear fruit 
in every good work, inferring not the evil works and the ritual practices that they had been participating in. Verse 11, may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul is starting to speak to the fears of this community, of the anxieties that they have. They have been anxious, living in fear of these evil spirits and powers. But you don't have to worry, Paul says. You have a share in the inheritance of the spirits and the saints in the light. You have already been rescued. The fight may be going on, but you know who has won the war. And you have this peace because of Christ. And then Paul comes to his main point, the reign of Christ. Today, as you heard earlier, is Christ the King Sunday in the life of the church. And Paul is eloquently expressing the beautiful, amazing paradox that is Jesus. Now, it was possibly a preformed tradition, or it's possibly a hymn of the church, but verses 15 through 20 lift up Christ in all of his divinity and humanity. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And so the question to the Colossians and the question really for us today is where do we place our trust? Is it through what we do in trying hard enough, of being perfect enough, of trying ritual practices or different things to earn God's love and grace? Or do we place our trust in Christ and Christ alone? I think there are times where we tend to lean into these Gnostic tendencies. When all of our attention is directed towards heaven, when we're focused on what happens after we die and we discount the injustice and suffering of the world around us. When we disdain or separate ourselves from uh, anything material because it is of the world. When there is shame about our bodies, instead of viewing ourselves, as 1 Corinthians six nineteen puts it, as temples of God's Holy Spirit. In our text today, Paul is so vehemently opposed to these false teachers in Colossae due to the fact that Paul's theology has a, a specific point and direction. His theology was always closely connected with the need to live Christian lives in this world. In the commentary interpretation, Ralph P. Martin makes this point. Theology, for him, for Paul, was not an intellectual game, 
making its appeal to the curious-minded, or offering a pastime to fill a vacant hour. Theology was a matter of life and death. What God is and has done in Christ and is doing by his spirit in the church and the world are all matters of vital concern because they impinge directly on our understanding of life and human destiny. And this is the paradox that Jesus gives to us today and every day, where the first shall be last and the last shall be first, where strength is found perfect and made perfect in weakness, when the blessed are those who are poor in spirit and those who are mourned. And this is the paradox of grace as well, that God has given each and every one of us unconditional love, acceptance, forgiveness, mercy, and that comes with no price tag at all. It's free. No conditions, no restrictions, no fine print to read. And yet, and yet, out of recognition, out of joy of this gift, we respond And as Paul says, we bear fruit in every good work. Sometimes it seems that we live in a binary world, a world that has a dualistic worldview. Things are either black or white. They're either good or bad. It is us versus them. And when we get into arguments, and I'm sure I'm not the only person here who has ever gotten into an argument, our response is often, yes, but... How many of you have ever done that? Be honest. Yeah, okay. I know I have. I throw that, yes, but here's my argument. Yes, but here's how you're wrong. I got to thinking about this this week, and I wonder what would happen if we stopped doing that and instead said, yes, and. Yes, and, and here's my perspective. Yes, I hear you. And here's some other information that I have. Karen Hugh, the CEO of Improv Edge, uh, wrote the book, Be the Best Bad Presenter Ever. Break the rules, make mistakes, and win them over. She shares that yes and is a powerful tool for collaboration, for negotiation, and for effective communication. The concept of yes and comes from the improv stage, and over the last 15 years, she has seen it transform leaders and teams across industries. Karen Hugh describes yes and by saying, let's start with the basics. Improvisation is an art form where five to six actors arrive on stage without a script, without props, without costumes, and they have to create a show in the moment without knowing where they're going. And it works because of yes and. No matter what the actor says on stage, I am a goldfish. She knows that not only will her troupe immediately accept and support the idea, yes, you're a goldfish, they will also add to it. And I'm the aquarium keeper. So by constantly accepting whatever is contributed on stage, yes, and by adding to it, and, the improv troupe can build an entire one-act play out of thin air. She concludes by saying that when you apply yes and to real life, people feel heard. 
people feel valued. People feel supported. It, it creates collaboration in times of conflict and engagement in times of trouble. So this is one practical way for us to embrace the mystery, the complexity, and the paradox of life. Because in his letter to Col the Colossians, Paul is doing exactly this. He is doing yes and. Yes, Jesus is fully divine. And yes, Jesus is fully human. Flesh, blood, and bone. So Christ is the ultimate example of the amazing paradox that we as Christians get to live and lean into. As I mentioned earlier, today is the last and final Sunday of the year, according to the Christian calendar. We've been in ordinary time, and next week that will all change as we enter into the Advent season. I want you to think about it for just a moment. Today is Christ the King Sunday, when we recognize the reign of Christ over all the cosmos, that he is the Lord of all. Today we are reminded that we need not fear. All we need to do is put our trust in him. Christ the King, the triumphant, the last Sunday of the year. And next week, on the first Sunday of Advent, we begin the wait, the expectation of God coming to be with us but not entering the world in triumph, in conquest, or as a powerful king, but as a helpless baby. An infant as reliant on his parents as any newborn today. This is the God that we worship. One who doesn't fit into any boxes that we would confine him to. What a joy it is to have a God that big who invites us into the mystery and lets us live into the paradox. Amen. Amen.